<laughs> okay, well, welcome. How are you all doing? Yeah, good. Excited? Jamie's excited. I'm excited. Some of you could tell your face that you're excited. That would be good. All right? Yes? All right, great. Well, welcome. If you're new, this is your first time with us, welcome. If you're family, it's always a pleasure to have you with us. So I'm super excited to share this morning. Um, I do just want to quickly say about our food bank, if you do not have time to get to the grocery store during the week or it's something that you forget, you are more than welcome to come and make a payment. Maybe you want to give $5 or $10, um, put it through the FPOS machine or pop it cash and we will make sure that one of our team go down to the grocery store and get however much we can with that money and then we'll put it into the food bank and take it down. So that is an option. If you're going to do that, just find myself or Jamie or Craig who's waving his hand and we can help you carefully. Um, we can help you pop it through the FPOS machine and make sure that we write on the back of the receipt what it's for. Sound good? Okay. Well, we are, I think, sermon four or five, four into our series called Mimicking the Macedonians. Everyone say that, Mimicking the Macedonians. <laughs> Lovely. Who knows where we find the story of the Macedonians that we've been reading from? Who can tell me? Who's been paying attention? Nobody. Okay. 2 Corinthians 8 is where we, we have been pulling from. So this morning I am doing Sermon 4 in that series and I'm super excited about it and really nervous because I feel like speaking on giving and tithing is like a little bit of a sore point. I don't know. That may be just me. Maybe just me. Okay. So bear with me, but I'm really excited about what God wants to speak about, and I'm really excited about what he has to share, and I know that this is a word and season for our church, so are you ready? Yeah. Awesome. Okay, so my um, sermon title this morning is called A Constrained Heart. We love that, um, and I'm going to be talking about the barriers to giving, the most common ones, and I was sitting at my favorite cafe this week, um, and just like was, I'll be honest, I was quite nervous, and I said to God, I'm nervous to speak on this, I'm nervous to speak on the barriers to giving, um, because I know it can be a sore, a sore spot, I know that it can be a little bit like poking bruises, you know, and God said to me, I've graced this message, so listen to what I have to say, and I was like, okay then, and I have my pen, and from having nothing to having a sermon was a process of trusting that Holy Spirit knows what we all need to hear. And he really urged me to speak from my heart this morning and my own personal experiences this morning because giving and tithing has not been something that came easy to me and has not been something that I've wanted to do and I didn't understand it and I thought that the church didn't need my money, not the church, but the church globally. I was like, they've got enough. And God took me on a really intensive process, um, particularly over the last year, around p positioning and posturing my heart. And a part of that looked like tithing and giving, because it's actually a biblical principle. Not so that the church would have money, Though it's important that we can function, and it's important that we can reach the community, it's important that we do what we do around here, but it's not about that. 
tithing and giving is actually more about my heart first because God wants to see me set free and giving my first fruits to him allows me to actually see a freedom in my giving that I hadn't before. It allowed me to see a freedom in my budgeting that I hadn't seen before. It allowed me to see a freedom in my savings that I hadn't seen before. All of a sudden, I realized and was taken on this journey around my money not being my money. And when you can catch that, when, when that's actually a truth in your heart, when you understand that God has given you everything in order that you would steward it, and that's, that's how he asks us to live, money takes on a whole new meaning. All of a sudden, it doesn't master my life. It doesn't make decisions about my life. Money doesn't dictate what I can and can't do. Actually, it's just a tool that God likes to use in order that we could see what it is that he has for us. And so I'm going to be talking around the barriers and, and know that I have walked every single one of these stages and I still do because the, re- the reality is when we, when we hear a truth, we still have to change our behaviour regularly to come into alignment with that and that's a process. But God is good and he's with us in it and so I'm excited. So the first barrier that I wrote down was offence or hurt. Probably a fairly big one, Um, and God just showed me that that's our heart. That's our heart. When someone offends us, when someone has said something from a pulpit um, around tithing or giving that's actually not biblical or that's hurt you or offended you, upset you, you've put your walls up, it actually, it makes it very difficult to overcome that, except for forgiveness is always greater than that. And I had to walk this journey. I heard some really, really dumb things about money. And it just shut me down. It did. And it it made me want to not give to the church. It made me want to not give my money because I was convinced that actually these, these people didn't need it. And it was a it was a hurt that affected something physical. But the lie was, and I'll get to this shortly, and I'm going to come back to it, but the lie was that I didn't have enough money to give, but that was actually hurt talking. That was actually offense talking. And I know that God is bigger always than the hurts that have come against us. He is bigger than that. And we tend to put our hurts in this like bubble or box of being so huge that God can't touch them or so painful that he can't clean them. Have you ever sat with a kid when they hurt themselves or get a splinter and it just seems like the, the biggest thing in the entire world, putting some salt water in that cut is like, <laughs> it's like World War Three, right? Sometimes I think we do that with God where he knows that it is better for us to approach him with this cut down our heart and for him to clean it out with some salt water. And that process stings and, and we forget that actually he has our best interest at heart. We forget that actually even, even though it stings right now, the salt washing, the living water cleansing is actually going to be better for us. It's actually going to stop it from from getting infectious. It's going to stop it from festering, which is what hurt and offense do when we don't bring them to God. They fester. They get disgusting. And they start to poison the rest of your life. 
right? That's, that's why we clean out little kids' scratches and things, because we don't want their whole leg to get amputated, which dad used to threaten. You know, he'd be like, I'll get the chainsaw, and we were like, ah! Right? But, like, the reality is that it's, it's our job to bring the hurt and offense before God and allow him to clean it out, not the person who offended us. It's our job to actually trust God with something bigger, to say to him, like he has big shoulders, to say to him, I, I didn't agree with what that person was saying, so I'm coming to you and before your word, I forgive them for anything that they said that might not have been from you. They are human, they're fallible. God, would you cleanse my heart? Would you show me what you mean by this? That takes some courage. It takes some guts. It takes some intentionality. But the reality is offense and hurt don't do anything for us except for lock us into bondage. And that affects our finances. Because if I can't trust God with what he's put in my hand and I start, have you, have you ever heard the analogy, you know, like you can hold more sand in your hand when it's open like this than you can when it's closed like this? Right? Like, actually, but what offense does is it closes our fists up. Hurt closes our fists up because we want to hold on to something so that it couldn't be hurt again. And God's asking us to approach him like this. And that takes some vulnerability. An open hand takes some vulnerability. So the first barrier is offense and hurt, and that affects our heart. The second barrier that Holy Spirit showed me was the lack of knowledge or understanding. So our mind. Everybody say our mind. This is when we don't actually know what we don't know. You know? Yeah? All right? If you weren't here last week... Dad preached around the New Testament principle of giving and that it is a New Testament principle and how we shift from Old Testament tithing into New Testament giving and, and what actually Jesus has to say about us. So if you don't know about giving or what the New Testament says about it, go and find the sermon. Because if you don't know what you don't know, you'll never know what you don't know. <laughs> that woke Doug up. All right? If you, if, if, you, if you don't actually go out of your way to search for things that you're not aware of, nothing will change. Now, I... Here's the, here's the thing. There's a difference between knowledge and understanding, right? Yes. Kathy's on board. Yes, there's a difference between knowledge and understanding. Now, I knew... Me personally, I knew that tithing was a biblical principle, but I didn't understand it. I didn't understand why I was responsible for it, and I didn't understand why, why uh, there was a difference or an importance in recognizing the difference between tithing and giving, and, and the difference between um, tithing because it's a law or giving because... We want to serve God by grace. And I, was, I, I wrote this line down. If even then you're struggling to understand. So you go listen to the sermon. You learn about New Testament 
giving, you know that it's a biblical principle. If even then you're struggling to understand, I've learned to say this, to tell myself, don't try to. I don't have to understand everything that God asks me to do. To be honest, it doesn't make sense lots of the time. It doesn't. It doesn't make sense that my finances fall into place more when I'm giving with a good heart and why it goes further, why the money that is left in my hand goes further when I'm giving than when I don't. It doesn't make sense to me. I don't understand it. But I do understand that God's called me into that space and that when I do abide by these boundaries that he's put around me to protect me and when he's put around these things so that my heart would always be open to him, so that my finances would always be his, when I actually start to listen to those things, I don't have to understand them because I see the fruit of them. And the fruit speaks for itself. I don't have to understand how an apple tree grows from seed form to this huge thing that produces fruit that people eat from. I don't get that. I'm not a biologist or any sort of just. <laughs> okay? But the truth is, I can go and take an apple from the tree that was planted and I, I get to reap and take from the fruit, and it's visible. There's something there. I don't have to understand it to eat from it, and the reality is I don't have to understand what God says to me all the time in order to see the fruit from it. If God's given me a seed and I plant it, he's the greatest just there is. He, he gets to know all of those things. He gets to build the DNA of the tree up from the ground, but the fruit is there. Am I willing to plant the seed is a really important question when we talk about our finances. Now, if I still don't understand and I'm okay with that, then I have to make a decision. Do I trust God? If it's a yes, hoorah. Seed goes in the ground. If it's a no, bing, 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 okay, turns out I might have actually had a seed planted or planted a seed and watered a seed that is actually causing me to believe a lie that I can't trust God with what I have. Now, the bigger lie there is that what I have is mine. So, remember these are all things I've had to ask. These are all things that have left me sobbing, crying, yelling at Phil, okay, being snappy at Kathy, because they were root things inside of me, and every time someone talked about it, I didn't want a bar of it, because it hit home too much, and it was going to require some digging out. The reality is I had planted seeds inside of myself that were actually producing rotten fruit and rather than dealing with the tree, I just started to hide the fruit. No one had to know I wasn't tithing. No one, I can pretend like I'm tithing. 
oh, yeah, I got my donations receipt too. Same. Secretly, I'm like, I didn't. Right? How easy is it to hide rotten fruit? But if you don't take out the tree, fruit keeps coming. So I had to go after something. And the reality of me not tithing, one of the parts of it, so I had my heart part, I had to deal with offence and hurt. The, the other part was that I didn't understand it, but that I decided that I couldn't trust God because I need to be in control of things. And control is not a fruit of the Spirit. Control is actually us withholding something from God because we are scared. Fear. That means we're going after fear. What am I scared of? Am I scared of lack? Am I scared that the church isn't going to do with my money what I want it to do? Am I fearful that I can't pay the bills this week if I tithe? Am I fearful that God being in control would actually be scarier than me being in control? Me, Ash, yes, 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 yes. I was so fearful of letting someone else be in control and I didn't know, I didn't know why, but I had to go after it. We don't just have to know the truth. We have to actually understand and know the lies. Because then we can combat the lies with something. Are you guys with me? This was, this was my scripture that I used over and over and over again. It was Proverbs 3, 5, which most of you probably know. Trust the Lord with all your heart and lean not on your own understanding. Acknowledge him in all your ways and he will make your path straight. Just that acknowledge part, for me, was what I had to do first. God, I acknowledge that you're my provider. I acknowledge that my finances, what you put into my hand, are ultimately yours. I acknowledge that I do not know how to handle money. Well, that's a big one. I acknowledge that I am not the best person to be making decisions with these. So, I stand before you, and I don't know where to from here, but you will make my path straight. That's a really, really, really vulnerable space to be. But God honors it. And the, the scripture reminded me of that. It didn't say your paths will be straight and then acknowledge him. Once we acknowledge him first, he works out the rest. He absolutely works out the rest. I don't have to understand it, but I do have a responsibility to address anything in myself that I've picked up or things that I'm holding on to that are lies that have stopped me from being able to give of myself. And I'm not just talking tithing, but also generosity to those around us. Also, stewardship in our homes. It, th there's so much that goes into it, but... God is slowly and surely making those paths straight for me. And it's not an easy process, and it's not a short process, but it's a journey that I'm willing to be on if it means my paths are made straight by God. I don't need to know what's next. 
Yeah? Okay, so we've had heart and mind. The third one was what we call, you may have heard us talk about this, is the poverty or gluttony mindset. It's an orphan spirit. Now, all of these are linked, okay? So if I don't trust God, there's probably a reason for that. I had to go on a journey of recognizing that God was my provider and did know what I needed and did know what I wanted and that I was his daughter. That was my biggest obstacle, was my identity. I couldn't fathom that God would want me as a daughter, and if I don't understand that, it affects everything else. I act like an orphan, like I don't have a father. And orphans beg and steal to get their food for the week. And essentially... I'll be blunt because it's about me. I was stealing from God in order to meet my needs for the week because I didn't understand who he was to me. So this poverty or gluttony mindset, there's two, in night school, we've been talking about this. We, We drew it as two mountains and the tension, the reality is that the enemy will use whatever he can to get us into the extremes of one another. He likes us living in extremes. He likes us in this poverty mountain where we say, I could never have enough. I do never, I never have enough. I don't have enough for this. I don't have enough for that. I can't pay this. I can't do this. There is this always, even when you have food on the table, we don't have enough food on the table. There is this mindset around poverty that, that bounds us binds us in, in chains, and if the enemy can use that against us, I'm, I'm, like, I literally remember having a conversation at my life group where I said, and there was a communal conversation where everyone was talking about how God wants us to live in poverty as Christians. He wanted us to be poor because we should give everything away. Now, on the other side of that, I've also heard prosperity doctrine. You can have everything. Name it and claim it. I want that Mercedes. Taking it. Thank you, Lord. I I literally have sat under both. And because of my inclinations as a person, I wanted to stay away from this side in that particular area, and I moved so far away that I was happier in poverty mindset. The reality is both are a sign of the condition of our soul and that is that we do not understand who our father is. Our, like we've been talking, like I said in night school, around Luke 15, parable of the prodigal sons. I'm not going to go into it, but it is just such an interesting juxtaposition between the two boys. We've got the younger son, who is, do we think, gluttonous or poverty-stricken? Younger son takes his father's inheritance, runs away with it. Gluttonous. And then we have the older son, who we see at the end of the parable, who actually says to his father, you didn't even give me a goat poverty. He didn't understand who his dad was. Neither of them 
in the house knew who their dad were. Otherwise, that story would have been very different. And we see the end of the parable to an extent. Jesus is funny like that. He didn't finish the parable. I think he leaves us wondering on purpose. But we see, if you want a good story to read, you go, go through Luke 15 and just mark things out. Whoa, that attitude there. The, the younger son's attitude of, give me this. That's an entitlement. And it actually stems from him not understanding who he was or understanding what his inheritance meant. There was no value to it. Go and have a read through it. My favorite story, though, we're going to jump to Matthew, 15, uh, Matthew 14, if you have your Bible. My favorite story is actually when, um, when Jesus feeds the 5,000. So if you jump to Matthew 14... Again, this was a scripture that got me through this process of learning that what, my, what I had in my hand wasn't mine. So, Jesus is out teaching. It's been a long day. We read Matthew 14, 15. As evening approached, the disciples came to him and said, so they came to Jesus, this is a remote place and it's already getting late. Send the crowds away so they can go to the villages and buy themselves food. Now, by all appearances, that kind of looks like a really nice thing the disciples are doing, being considerate of all the people that have come this far, and they're like, man, we should let them go because they are going to have to travel to go and get food. Okay, so they're doing their best. Jesus replied, they do not need to go away. You give them something to eat. Here we see poverty. They don't understand who their father is. Watch this. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Only. We have here only. How many times do we come before God and look at our bank balance and say, we only have this much? I'm sorry, I cannot tithe this week. Your kids want to go on camp and it's super expensive. That language, and I'm... I know this is potential bruises, but there's grace of God in this, but the, the, the language, we only have enough for this. You're teaching your kids that there's only ever so much. That subtle language that we use. Now, it's important for us to be honest. Let's see what we can do. Our bank says no, but we serve a bigger God. Let's pray about it. How much does that change their faith world? Now, there's being, there's being wise and stewarding things, but that word only is very dangerous because it starts to plant a seed in our lives that there is only ever so much. We have here only five loaves of bread and two fish. Jesus said, bring them here to me. He directed the people to sit down on the grass Taking the five loaves and the two fish, he looked up to heaven, he gave thanks, and he broke the loaves. He didn't pray for the miracle first. He didn't even ask. He gave thanks for the miracle and then broke the bread because Jesus knew who his father was. He didn't come to him and beg, Lord, you said that I could do this and I know that you want me to have the Mercedes, so I am just, I'm crying out, Lord, I need the miracle. 
that's, that's poverty. And very quickly can turn to gluttony. That right there. Jesus didn't do that. He said, thank you to his father and then broke the bread. He didn't say thank you and then count the bread. He didn't say thank you and then uh, count the crowd and divide, you know, ration. Nope. He gave thanks and then he broke the bread and he gave it to the disciples and the disciples gave it to the people. They all ate and were satisfied. The disciples picked up 12 basketfuls of broken pieces that were left over. The number of those who ate was about 5,000 men besides women and children. From not enough to more than enough. That is how good our God is. But Jesus stewarded what was in his hand. And he acknowledged who his father was and gave thanks for the miracle before it was a miracle. God sees the reality that stares us in the face that it feels like we don't have enough some weeks. He sees it. He sees that there are five pieces of bread in the fridge and six mouths to feed. He sees it. He knows the reality. He isn't blind to that. But in that space is our, is our greatest blessing waiting to happen. I have story after story after story of saying to God, I have no clue how. But I'm, I'm thanking you anyway. And literally, like wads of cash, I'm not even joking, things that I could not pay for, things that I stress about, because remember, money's a new thing for me, it's only like a year of intensive journey, things that I could not do, things that I was so worried about that I felt sick, and God just kept on saying to me, give thanks. Break the bread that I've put in your hand first, give to me your first fruits, I'll take care of the rest. That's not me telling you that money's going to fall from the sky and you should just, you know, wait for that to happen because the other side of this is stewardship. There's understanding that actually bringing to, to God and bringing it before him and being wise with our money is really important. But he is a God of more than enough when it looks like there isn't enough. And if you are desperate for a promise and for a, a prayer this week, that is the scripture that God told me to share this morning. You read Matthew 14 over your family every day. Read it over yourself. Read it over your bank balance and say thank you. Don't beg for a miracle. Say thank you for it. God wants to bless you when we stand before him and say, I recognize that you're my father. Remember, this is a soul issue okay, because money is attached to us. When we say to him, I understand that you're my father and that means that you will provide for me. Now I'm going to deal with any lies that might hinder me from believing that. And if that is something you would like to journey, please come and find me afterwards because we will set up a really safe space and time for you to deal with some of those things. If it feels impossible to say like God is your father, come and find one of us. Because I believe in standing on the testimony of my life in order that someone else would be set free in this area. God is a God of more than enough. 
So that leads me to my final point, which is that physical barriers don't exist. So we've heard about our heart. Everyone say heart. We've heard about our mind. And we've heard about our soul. Everyone say soul. So the last thing would be the body, right? Yeah, well, this is where Holy Spirit gave me like a boom moment. Okay? He said to me, physical barriers don't actually exist. That's one of the first lies that Satan will use against you, is you don't have enough. No, you can't possibly. But actually, that lie is related to one of the other three. Either hurt or offense, a lack of understanding or knowledge, and wanting to lean on your own, or not knowing who God is. That's a hard word, but there are no physical barriers. Like I said earlier, we've been reading from 2 Corinthians 8 about the Macedonians, and I just want to read this out to you because I love, I love this scripture. And now, brothers, so, so there's actually, this is a testimony. We want you to know about the grace that God has given the Macedonian churches. One of the most, out of the most severe trial, their overflowing joy and their extreme poverty, everyone say poverty, welled up in rich generosity. For I testify that they gave as much as they were able and even beyond their ability, entirely on on their own. They urgently pleaded with us for the privilege of sharing in this service to the saints. And they did not do as we expected, but they gave themselves first to the Lord and then to us in keeping with God's will. So we urged Titus, since he had earlier made a beginning, to bring also to completion this act of grace on your part. Just as you excel in everything, in faith, in speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, see that you also excel in this grace of giving. I am not commanding you, but I want to testify, uh, test the sincerity of your love by comparing it with the earnestness of others. For you know the grace of our Lord Jesus Christ, that though he was rich, yet for your sakes he became poor, so that you through his poverty might become rich." And here is my advice about what is best for you in this matter. Last year, you were the first not only to give, but also to have the desire to do so. Now finish the work so that your eager willingness to do it may be matched by your completion of it according to your means. They were stricken in poverty and they gave. And how often is that the truth of the world we see around us? That those with nothing are more generous than those with everything. A harsh reality of the world we live in. Because the more you have, the harder it is to open your hand. God doesn't ask us to do things for any other reason than to condition our hearts. The Macedonian church was a testament that a church stricken in poverty welled up in rich generosity. And this is the prayer that I've been praying over our church. For the last probably six weeks, we had a team meeting and we spoke about 2 Corinthians, and God just highlighted this to me. But just as you excel in everything, in faith and speech, in knowledge, in complete earnestness, and in your love for us, so that you also excel in the grace of giving. Imagine if that is how people talked about us. 
because they don't see a community <laughs> that's giving. They see generosity. They see a community that loves. I spoke on Acts 2, the same thing. The response to the revival, the response to Holy Spirit was that they gave everything of themselves and ate together. That nothing in their community, nobody in their community had a want or need that somebody couldn't meet. Don't be fooled into thinking that those somebodies weren't God. Because ultimately, everything that we hold is his. It was to their ability and more. Now, I read this in a commentary, and I thought it important to highlight. First, it is because the Macedonians gave not just as much as they were able, literally according to their ability, but beyond. How much beyond, Paul does not say, but there is no hint that this was a reckless action on their part. The sense is that they determined what they could comfortably contribute and then went beyond this figure. So great was their desire to serve Christ that they would not allow their economic situation to keep them from being involved in the Lord's work. This is why Paul describes the collection as a service. It's not just a financial obligation. It is a ministry opportunity to the saints, those set apart to be God's possession. This journey that I have been on <laughs> with money, because it's not just tithing, it was everything, has left me feeling so completely lost and so close to God at the same time that it's hard to describe. But the reality is there's fruit that speaks for itself. For the first time in my life, I have a savings account that isn't being saved for anything, it's just being saved. For the first time in my life, I am tithing regularly and intentionally. I, I don't have an AP set up. When my pay comes into my bank account, the first thing that I do is go on and make a tithe payment because it's my first fruits. It can't be what's left over at the end of my week because there probably wouldn't be anything. It has to be my first fruits. And it is really hard, and I don't get it right all the time. But I've also recognized the grace of God in it. Because there are weeks where I know it's going to be difficult, where I come to him, where I say, look, like, this is going to be hard. And very seriously, there are weeks where I, where I don't think I can possibly tithe anything. And God, in all of his graciousness, turns around to me and says, tithe 6% this week. I say that really genuinely, not withholding something from God, but because he understands. And there are other weeks where he's like, tithe 15%. And I'm like, mm, mm, that's a no from me. But as good as his grace is, is as challenging as the Holy Spirit is because he wants to condition my heart. And money becomes a part of our hearts so quickly. And in order to remain out of bondage, one of, the, one of the easiest ways to do this is to confess and acknowledge who God is and then be obedient when he asks us to do something. I pray that this church would be known for its generosity. 
that it would be known for its love, that it would be known for its faith, that it would be known for the miracles and the signs and wonders because we were first obedient to who God is. That is my prayer. I know that there are people in this room who feel highly uncomfortable by this message because that's a reality of speaking on money. But know this, God has already gone before you and he stands behind you. It may look like you only have five loaves and two fishes, but I promise you that when you give thanks to God for that, for what is in your hand, he will feed the 5,000 from it. All it took is obedience and a knowledge of who the Father was. Would you stand with me? However you feel comfortable, whether it be out loud or in your head, you don't, you don't even have to say anything. If you would like to, I urge you to join in prayer with me as we give back to God what was always his. I'm going to pray and you can repeat the line after me. Nothing crazy, I promise but a heart posturing before God that he would remind every single one of us, even those of us who have been tithing faithfully and living generously for 30 odd years, even, even those ones, would you know a, a new and refreshed anointing around what it means to be generous in the kingdom of heaven? Would you repeat after me? God, my Father, I stand before you acknowledging you Acknowledging that you will make my path straight. Would you speak to me? Would you break any chains? Would you dismiss any lies? Would I stand as a faithful servant, ready to give? ready to be generous. Would I know that you are my father and that all I need to do is give thanks and be obedient. God, thank you that your promise stands. Thank you that even in the hardships, even in the trials, even when the numbers don't make sense, I thank you that every single time you have a plan, that every single time you invite us into a space of weakness in order that we would know your strength. Father, would you go with our people? Would this be a topic that would well up on their lips as they talk to others? Would generosity overflow from this house? Would miracles and testimonies of miracles be in abundance every time we meet? Would you use us to bless those in the community? 
Would you use us to bless our brothers and sisters that sit next to us? Would you highlight generosity as a principle, as a behaviour? We give thanks to all that you've done this morning, to all that you've said. God, would these words touch the hearts of those that so desperately need to hear it? Would you go with us this week? Would we know the intimacy of your love? In everything we do and we pray, would we glorify your name? Amen.